And the WMAY Morning News Feed continues now. It's time for Full Disclosure. We do this every Wednesday morning, joined by David Greising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association. David, as always, welcome back. Thank you very much, Jim. Good to be here. Well, we're going to dive right into it. And of course, as has been the case for months now, the pandemic is dominating the discussion of what's going on in state government. Governor J.B. Pritzker once again trying to uh, lock things down uh, a little bit further. It's not a full lockdown. It's not a stay-at-home order, according to the governor, but he is saying stay at home, and he is restricting more businesses, including casinos and gaming parlors, museums, theaters will be ordered closed as of Friday, additional restrictions around the state, all in an effort to uh, to bring this pandemic under control. And, and David, one thing that's been happening a lot recently is that courts are continuing to say the governor's got the authority to do all this. Right. And the stay at home order is not outside the realm of possibility. The governor has said that he will resist it with every uh, every fiber of his being. But it could happen and happen possibly soon. And the courts so far have backed him uh, almost across the board. There was an important ruling just in the last few days uh, down in Sangamon County. uh, Judge Raleen Grishow uh, you know, backed Pritzker on his ability to exec- issue executive orders, issue ex- ex- successive executive orders, and issue guidance to various agencies in the government. Uh, this answers a lot of the legal questions that have been out there, especially the targeting that has been done against his successive executive orders in order to p- protect the health and safety of residents in Illinois. And so the governor keeps racking up wins in the courts and the shutdowns uh, apparently will be continuing apace. You know, and uh, one of the things we've noticed, at least locally, uh, is that uh, while there was a fair amount of open defiance of the governor's orders of people saying, who does this one guy think he is to be able to do this? Uh, but they're taking the court orders a bit more seriously. And when uh, that judge, uh, Judge Grisho in uh, Sangamon County, uh, issued temporary restraining orders against four local businesses who had defied the indoor dining ban and wound up getting their food licenses janked, and, and she said, uh, yeah, your food license is gone and you can't serve anybody, not carry out, not anything. And now it seems like maybe they have at least a couple of them have gotten their lesson and they have said, OK, we're closed down. We're going to uh, follow all the rules from now on. They're hoping to get their licenses back. So uh, it, people are maybe at this point now starting to take this a little bit more seriously and to recognize that it's not uh, business as usual. Uh, of course, uh, a lot of this potentially could have been avoided if there had been more legislative involvement in the process. And one of the big uh, gripes that we seemed we are hearing a lot from Republicans is, uh, you know, the lawmakers, the duly elected representatives of the people have not had much voice in this in their view. No, uh, that said that both the law and the Constitution gives the governor uh, all kinds of powers to act unilaterally. Uh, He doesn't need the legislature in order to do what he's doing. Whether or not there would have been more buy-in from people if the legislature had gotten involved, uh, I think is a little bit of an open question, because presumably this would have been done by um, the Democratic supermajorities in both uh, chambers of the legislature. And it's chiefly in Republican areas and from Republican lawmakers that we have heard this resistance. And so... um, Uh, There's no saying whether had the legislature actually taken action, 
that we may yet have heard kind of resistance uh, from Republicans who just got outvoted. But all that is moot. The governor has these powers. The courts have backed him up with in, in terms of implementation of these powers. And as you say, uh, the courts are backing it up in a way that it's not just the governor versus these businesses. It's now the state versus these businesses or the court systems really kind of putting some teeth into these orders. And that will no doubt, bring about better compliance. Uh, undoubtedly, we're going to continue to see challenges, court fights, resistance, but uh, uh, it does appear the die is cast. And as you said, with each one of these court wins, uh, the governor just really uh, cements his authority to take these actions as long as the, the pandemic remains uh, a crisis, which it certainly is at, at this point, uh, to the point that, in fact, some other big news is getting crowded out, but not here. We do uh, talk about some of these other things that have uh, broad long-term ramifications for the state and its citizens. One of those, of course, is a, a looming, growing, worsening budget crisis with projections last week that are really kind of staggering in the implications in terms of the budget deficit and the uh, the huge amount of unpaid bills the state could rack up if we don't take some decisive action soon. Yes, and, and it's interesting that the budget and budget deficits end up being somewhat abstract concepts, but that backlog of unpaid bills actually affects businesses all over the state who are vendors to the state of Illinois and who have to wait um, uh, months and in you know untold amounts of time sometimes in order to be paid. The backlog reached a peak of about $16 billion back under the Rauner administration during the breakdown, uh, during the suspension of legislative activity. And, um, uh, and it's been whittled down to about $10 billion, or I'm sorry, less than $10 billion now. But by June 30th, the governor's office is predicting uh, that it'll be up around $10 billion. And by 2026, unless they find some new sources of revenue or make some really significant progress on uh, on budget cuts, we're going to see that number jump to about $33 billion, the governor's budget office is estimating. That's a huge number. Uh, that crea creates all kinds of problems for vendors to the state. And uh, it's something for us to keep our eye on in terms of uh, the government's stewardship of its finances. People still here remember vividly the ugliness of a couple of years ago when that backlog was around 15, 16 billion, how some doctors and dentists wouldn't take state workers anymore because they knew they, they would not get reimbursed for their expenses for a long, long time to come. Some places stopped doing business with the state entirely. Uh, and if you think that was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet unless something gets done. The governor said, uh, I believe it was yesterday in his briefing, he's going to focus first on cuts. But, uh, you know, David, I think it's important to remind everybody again that the ability to cut the state budget is hindered by a number of things. We have certain obligations that are pretty well sacrosanct, including bond payments and uh, entitlement programs and things uh, that there's just very little you can do to touch those dollars. Yeah, that is one of the real challenges for the governor and his finance people, because uh, it's estimated that in order to address the shortfall in revenue uh, that because of the loss, his loss on the uh, graduated income tax, that you would need to make 15 percent cuts across the board in those agencies that don't have these uh, mandated payments. And um, uh, so far, the governor has said the, the cuts are going to be more in the 5 percent realm. But that raises big questions about, OK, where um, where is he going to find the additional savings he needs? And I guess the answer now coming out is he's not really going to. He's just going to add to the uh, 
backlog of unpaid bills. Uh, obviously, tough questions ahead. These are areas where you need the, the legislature involved, and we have no idea right now when the legislature is returning to Springfield as the pandemic continues to rage. When we come back, we are going to uh, look at uh, you know some possibilities for the road ahead and what the governor can take away from the loss of the uh, graduated income tax proposal, how he builds from there going forward. David Greising has uh, just recently written a, a column on this, so we'll talk about that. And also about the the possibility, and I, I stress at this point, it is merely theoretical, uh, of life after Madigan. And we'll get into all that coming up next here. David Greising, president and CEO of the BGA, is here with us. And David, Governor J.B. Pritzker ran primarily on the idea of changing Illinois to a graduated income tax where people who earn more could be charged a higher tax rate. Voters pretty resoundingly rejected that earlier this month. You've recently written a column on where the governor goes from here. Right. Uh, well, there's some talk of possibly borrowing further. Uh, uh, the legislature has authorized about $3.7 billion of borrowing uh, during this year in order to uh, provide additional revenue. Of course, the governor has relied on the likelihood of borrowing from the federal government uh, uh, and also has relied on the notion that the federal government would provide bailout COVID bailout money, a uh, second round, um, which is not emerging so far. And so he's got a real problem. If he borrows, he's going to likely face a downgrade, which would put Illinois' credit rating at junk status. And he can't just wait for Congress forever. Uh, Congress is caught in this stalemate. Um, now the question becomes, does he make good on an implied promise that was made during the campaign that taxes would go up by as much as 20 percent? That means that people now paying 4.95 percent would be paying almost 6 percent, 5.95 percent. That would go across the board to billionaires and, um, you know, minimum wage earners alike in our flat tax state. Um, one other idea that was floated but is politically not very viable uh, during the campaign was uh, State Treasurer Mike Barracks at one point even admitted that taxing retirement income uh, might at some point be, cut, be put on the table. That was linked with Pritzker's um, graduated tax proposal, but there's no reason that that couldn't just be floated separately from all other things. The trouble is um, that's sort of a political third rail to start going after retirement income. and. Governor Pritzker has, set, has never indicated that he would back such a move. Yeah, it's one thing if you are saying you're going to tax the retirement income of people whose retirement income amounts to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, uh, but but uh, Granny living down the street who's basically pulling in the bare minimum benefits, and you say you're going to tax her retirement income, uh, that does seem like a uh, like a non-starter. Very difficult challenges and choices ahead, and at least for now, it appears that uh, one person who will have a, a great deal of control over that is one Michael J. Madigan, despite the scandal. The controversies, the pushback. Uh, there's no indication yet that Madigan is going to lose his speakership or lose his grip on power. But uh, David, you and the BGA have recently looked at a, another state that has uh, had to adjust to life after what's being called an iron grip speaker. Tell me about it. Yes, no doubt. Um, you know, we took a look at the state of New York, which uh, has faced a very similar circumstance to what we're facing now. Uh, the longtime Speaker of the House, uh, Sheldon Silver, was arrested under corruption charges, et cetera. And what happened in that legislature is that 
the Democratic caucus met. Uh, Silver was there for the meeting and they excused Silver and came out of that meeting, basically said, Mr. Speaker, your long tenure as speaker is over and we're going to elect a new speaker. And there's been in Illinois, there have been a lot of individual uh, people, uh, a little bit under 10, I think, by last count, who have called for the speaker to step down, even though he has not been charged with the crime and says he has done nothing wrong. Uh, nevertheless, they think that his ability to run to direct, you know, guide the legislature has been severely compromised. Um, in, in New York, the new speaker, Carl Heasty, has pushed through a really progressive agenda, that he's the first black speaker in the state's history. He's passed bail reform and tenants' rights. He's passed increased school spending and women's rights measures, raised the minimum wage, including a $15 wage in New York City. Um, so people are so focused on Madigan and whether he can hold on to power they really haven't begun looking at, well, who might replace him? And in that question might be the answer to whether Madigan needs to stay. Is he the essential character in Illinois government and politics? Or is he dis, uh, is is he uh, expendable? And um, so far, it looks like the legislature is still going to be backing him. Uh, but uh, our recommendation was that, that the Democrats ought to at least get together and caucus instead of individually having to put themselves out there uh, and being uh, made vulnerable in doing so. If there's one thing that 2020 has taught us, it's don't assume anything. Don't think you know how anything is going to play out because there's always surprises and rarely is that more true than with the Illinois General Assembly. We'll watch that very carefully. David, we're out of time for today. Let everybody know how people can reach you and the Better Government Association the rest of the week. Yes, I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. And our website is bettergov.org. And, of course, here each Wednesday morning, full disclosure on the WMAY Morning News feed. David Greising, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye, Jim. Thank you.